Treating seed this spring? AGI Storm FX brings you the ultimate innovation in seed treating for your modern-day farming operation, offering you speed, accuracy, and flexibility. With a simplified design, gentle handling, and precise performance, you can choose to pre-treat or treat your seed just in time. This season, choose the AGI Storm FX Seed Treater to keep you on schedule and ahead of the curve. Visit aggrowth.com for more information or to find your nearest dealer. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Celeste Lapriato. Celeste started The Conscious Kitchen at the age of 22. She began cooking regularly from recipe books at the age of 10, and while in school, she spent her summers working on organic vegetable farms, learning about market gardening and no-till methods. She has combined her two passions of cooking and sustainable agriculture into the business and hasn't looked back since. The business is currently in the third year of operation. And over the past few years of running The Conscious Kitchen, she's gained experience and knowledge in everything from sales to marketing to financial forecasting and efficient budgeting. Being a young, mixed-race and queer entrepreneur, she found many programs and consultants she worked with didn't understand the unique challenges that come with having a diverse identity. More diversity and representation in small business owners and the services that support them is what Celeste is working towards changing. I'm very excited for you all to get to meet Celeste this week. I had the opportunity to interview Celeste and her partner, Simone, for podcast episodes, and you'll get to meet Simone next week and learn more about The Conscious Kitchen, as well as the conference that they put together this past winter that I was able to attend online that I can't say enough good things about. Before we get to Celeste's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's review comes from Lane19 via Apple Podcast, and this five-star rating and review is titled, Feeling Seen While Learning. I love what Caitlin does with this podcast. Not only do I end each episode feeling seen as I listen to women that have lives similar to mine, I also learn something new, a great combination. Thank you, Caitlin. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. 
I love diving into the reviews each and every week to pull one up to read on an upcoming episode. So if you would be so kind to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the Royal Woman podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. One more quick note of gratitude and appreciation. I want to welcome Heather S. to the Patreon community for the Rural Woman Podcast. Heather has joined the Rural Woman Podcast on Patreon at the Tier 10 level, which gives her access to ad-free listening as well as bonus content, including extended episodes and my solo podcast, Maybe You Can Relate, which if you didn't hear, there was an episode dropped earlier this week. So if you would like to support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman Podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast and show your support for the show. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Celeste. Hello, Celeste. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Caitlin. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Celeste, give us your background. Tell us who you are and how you got your start in agriculture. Yeah, so my name is Celeste Lepriato, and I own the Conscious Kitchen mainly while also doing a few other things. And how I got started in agriculture. So I didn't grow up in agriculture. I grew up in Toronto, Ontario. So pretty big city. We didn't have a backyard or anything. I was kind of, you know, exposed a little bit to agriculture from my grandparents. They had like a garden in their backyard growing up. But other than that, like we didn't really eat locally. We never went to like farms in the country and just didn't really have that kind of be part of our life when I was a kid. But eventually I decided to go, try to go to vet school. So I was going to the University of Guelph for like a pre-vet program and somehow learned that there was like an organic vegetable farm on campus. And I was looking for a summer job. I think it was my second year of university. And they happened to be hiring. So I applied and I'm not really sure why. I think I just like wanted to work outside and kind of just work in like a different kind of place. So I somehow got the job because I convinced her that I knew what I was doing or that I was interested in agriculture, but really I didn't know anything. And then kind of the first week just being on the farm, I really fell in love. Like we were just doing a lot of different things like seeding and preparing beds And just like looking at the perennial plants that were from last year and just all of that stuff and just really fell in love with the whole process. And it was a three acre organic vegetable farm and we really grew kind of all the crops. We also had like coop houses and a greenhouse. So it was really learning like start to finish how to grow things in a farmer's market kind of setting. That is so interesting. And you know, when you say that you did not grow up in agriculture and you grew up in an urban area, when I think of Canada, I think of Toronto as being one of the most urban areas to grow up in. For your grandparents and their garden, what were some of your first memories from their garden? So they also lived in Toronto, but kind of more on the outskirts. And they had a small garden, probably like 
maybe 20 feet by 10, no, 20 feet by like six feet. So just like a long skinny garden and they didn't grow too much. So they are from Italy, they're immigrants and back in Italy, they both grew up on farms. But after coming to Canada, they only kind of grew a bit and mostly like tomatoes, cucumbers, like the really summer stuff. So it was more like fun gardening. Like they didn't really garden to for substance. So I just remember, you know, throughout July and August eating tomatoes and cucumbers, but then in the other months, like not really knowing where my food came from or not really knowing about, you know, how to like actually garden from like a homesteading point of view. Yeah, for sure. So tell us what happened from your summer garden job to where you are now. You obviously were going to vet school and I can assume that you're not a vet on the side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I eventually switched programs. So out of the pre-vet program, I realized I was not very good at science. And I switched into an environmental studies program. And through that program, I actually took, you know, a few agriculture programs through university. I took just overall, you know, like geography, geology, kind of weather, also classes that kind of, you know, taught me a bit more about like the environment and agriculture. And yeah, I guess like the next few summers, the university kind of got, tried to get similar jobs. So the next summer I worked on another farm that was an urban farm in Guelph, Ontario, and it was actually like a youth farm. So I was like the farm manager and this was about a half acre farm. So I was in charge of like planting initially and doing all the initial work. And then in the summer, we actually had high school students who came to work at the farm. So it was like a little bit of teaching and then also just like preparing the vegetables for the far- the small farmer's market we went to and stuff like that. So that was the second year. And then after graduating from university, I started working at a food bank. And then on the side, I was renting a small plot of land, like a quarter acre from a friend's farm and was just farming that kind of, you know, on the side in the summer. That's so interesting to find this love of being outside and working in the garden and growing food and vegetables as a university student to, you know, growing up and renting a plot of land that you loved it so much uh, for growing this food. So tell us more about the Conscious Kitchen and how that all started for you. Yeah, so it kind of started a bit out of the blue. Again, I never imagined, you know, starting my own business and I didn't have that many entrepreneurs in my family. So it wasn't really an idea I thought about. But after graduating university, there just weren't a lot of like job prospects. I was just applying to jobs, not really getting interviews or getting interviews and then, you know, not getting the job or it was too low paying. So I was kind of just, you know, thinking about what my next steps were and kind of still just, you know, applying to random jobs in the nonprofit sector, somehow related to like food or food security or agriculture in some way. And then I started actually cooking for a friend kind of in the evenings as a meal prep. And it was just kind of serendipitous. She was looking for someone to help her out. 
And I, you know, I was just looking for some more creative outlets and a way to make extra money. So I decided to start doing that. And then after a few months, I had a few of her friends also ordering from me. So I was cooking for about three or four families a week in the evenings or on Sundays. And yeah, just kind of figuring out if that could be like a possible business idea and just kind of fleshing it out. And I eventually actually found a commercial kitchen for rent and it was pretty affordable if I was going to share it with another business. So I decided to ask uh, another female business owner, uh, she made like vegan cheese, if she'd be interested in sharing it. And she said, yes. So we kind of signed the lease and both figured out, you know, what we were doing. And at that point, I decided I was going to start kind of like a zero waste meal delivery and grocery business. And that was just kind of building off what I was already doing and, you know, thinking a bit more about what I wanted to do in the future. And zero waste was becoming kind of really popular at that point. So this would have been middle of or early 2019. So Zero waste is a big thing. You know, meal delivery was starting to become popular, like the HelloFresh and things like that. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to offer, you know, the same thing in a more environmentally friendly, sustainable, local way. And I kind of took off from there. (laughs) That is such a neat story of finding this niche for yourself and creating this niche. And can I just say what a good friend you are for making meals for your friend? (laughs) I need a friend who would like to come and cook my meals for me. (laughs) (laughs) I would pay them dearly to do it, especially if they would do the dishes after for me. That would be the best. (laughs) That's the worst part, isn't it? I think so. Well, and I just love that, you know, you've found this niche and especially with the community that you're in and the surrounding urban community setting that you're in and finding a way to do this in a different way and especially for it to be a zero waste thing because I know that's a lot of time that's what people are looking for now and you know I think when we know better we do better and we know all of these you know meal kits and deliveries are so convenient, but at what cost are they convenient? So by you taking that waste factor out of it, I just think that is a brilliant thing for you to do. So since 2019, you have been able to expand quite exponentially, and I would say in a relative short amount of time. So first of all, congratulations for that. But uh, tell us where you're at now and what you've been able to accomplish in this short amount of time. Yeah, so now we're in our fourth year of business and there has been a lot of changes. So initially in 2019, you know, I was doing everything on my own and just delivering from our car. And now we've actually purchased a farm. We've moved an hour and a half north of where we were living and where I started the business. And we actually operate the business off of our farm. So in The fall of 2020, we started looking at farms to buy. We were kind of in like a precarious rental and figure out what our next step was. And this was kind of right before, you know, farm prices became really outrageous. And we got pushed out of our initial area, but we found a property pretty far north from where we initially looked at. 
So we were lucky enough to purchase it and we decided we were going to keep our business based out of the city we were living in before and just actually deliver down. So what we have now is a full commercial kitchen in the basement of our house and we have a refrigerated delivery cargo van and we deliver to kind of three smallish cities. So like the two cities we are delivering to initially, which is Guelph and another area, Kitchener-Waterloo, they're kind of like twin cities. And we also added a new city, Collingwood, to our route. It's kind of situated near Blue Mountain, which is like a popular ski area. So there, it's typically been a very touristy area, but through the pandemic, a lot of people moved up here full time. So now it's like a really bustling city for young families. And it's been like a great new market for us. And we also have a small farm on the property. So there's not much arable land. The property we bought, it's only about five acres in total. And the farmable area is only about half an acre. So we got that tilled up when we moved here. And last summer, we kind of did just did a lot of like cover cropping and we planted a bit of stuff, but just trying to build up the soil because it's really rocky here. So just removing a lot of rocks, adding fertility and just that kind of stuff last year. And then this year we plan to grow a lot of kind of the more high value crops. So things like a lot of greens, summer vegetables, like tomatoes and eggplants, which we use a lot of in the summer. And then also things like garlic, herbs, just like things that are both unique and expensive to buy. And then we supplement the rest of our vegetables through a small organic local farm that's near us that have actually been our friends for a while. And we also buy from an organic distributor who actually grows most of their products. So it's like a huge organic farm and they do like a lot of root vegetables, onions, things like that, that are, you know, pretty hard for us to grow on our scale. So it's a really good way to connect with kind of the other farmers in our area as well. Yeah, that's so great. And just keeping it as local as possible and knowing that you don't have to grow everything on your own. I know there's a lot of people who feel that innate pressure that if they are selling, whether that's a CSA share or they have a market farm or whatever it is, they feel like they have to grow everything and have that wide variety for their customer. But if somebody specializes in something, let's say potatoes, and you don't have to break your back by <laughs> hoeing these rows of potatoes all summer long to get a crop because you have a neighbor that's really great at it or has the equipment to do it, you know, use those connections and build that community to expand the products that you're able to offer. Yep, for sure. So I got to speak to your partner, Simone, about the farm and the business. And she she did a great description of, you know, not really knowing what to expect, but then getting there and getting hands dirty and jumping all in. What has it been like for you to make this huge transition? And I can't, you know, emphasize this enough. This has been a really short amount of time, four years in business can probably seem like a long time, especially through a pandemic. But in, you know, general speaking, it's not that very, it's not that long being in business. So what was it like for you through these major transitions throughout this business and throughout this journey? When I first started the business, I didn't actually have another job. So I was able to really focus 
on starting the business. And that was just, I had a contract ending and, you know, I, we didn't need necessarily me to bring in income that first year just because Simone had a pretty stable job and we were just renting a small apartment and just had, you know, one car. So we didn't have a lot of expenses. So that first year was like pretty relaxed. Like I didn't think I overworked like crazy and I was just able to kind of slowly, you know, build customers and do that kind of thing. So the first year, you know, it was just pretty normal job. I was just working four or five days a week doing the cooking, delivering, and then just doing like prep work and managing our website and stuff like that. And it grew pretty slowly initially. So, you know, after about a year, I think we had on average every week about 20 or 25 customers who would order. And that's not just individuals. It was some people are ordering more food. So some people are ordering like family-sized meals. So it, it got to be, you know, quite a bit of work. And so we were in yeah, spring of 2020 and I hired a friend of mine just to kind of help me out. And then a few months later, we kind of moved here and that was when things started to really grow. So it just started, you know, slowly growing, like gathering new customers, especially through the pandemic. I think more people were getting used to delivery and more people were looking for a service like this. And surprisingly, I think people were busy at home. Like I think when they had their kids at home and people were working, it was just becoming like too much. So people started looking for things to make their life a bit more convenient or easy. And having meals cooked for them is obviously, you know, a great way to save time. So I think more and more people are becoming interested and we started, you know, rapidly growing. And then we decided to add a new route to our business, which just really picked up from there. So I would say between like winter of 2020 and summer of 2021, we probably like doubled our sales just by adding that new area. And that was when things became like pretty overwhelming. So we hired our first full-time employee in the summer of 2021. And that was, you know, a really big learning curve is just learning how to, you know, be an employer, which is interesting and hard, <laughs> but she's been great and she really like fits in well to our business. So that's been a huge help. And ever since, yeah, hiring her, we've just definitely been growing and we're now at the stage, I guess, for about a year later and we need to hire another full-time employee just because things are getting really overwhelming. And the last few months I've been really kind of working harder than I should be and just really need to like start, you know, doing less and just making my life easier. So we're looking for a new person to hire. And we're also doing a big renovation to our kitchen to make it about double the size and just getting more efficient equipment. So like getting bigger commercial stoves and just increasing our like foot area and then also building like a carport. So like the packing of deliveries are easier and things like that. I recall my conversation with Simone and they let me know that you are one of the hardest working people 
they know, as well as you are an incredible cook and you're very fast at it, they said. So congratulations for that. I am, <laughs> I like to think of myself as an okay cook. I'm not fast though, and uh, I make a big mess doing it. But I would be remiss not to ask because I'm sure my listeners are wondering too, what are some of the like hot sellers for the meals that you cook that people just love? I would say definitely like pastas are pretty big. Like people really like like creamy pastas. We also sell like frozen lasagnas. People love lasagnas. But we also do these like vegan Swedish meatballs that are a huge one. So it's like a lentil and mushroom-based meatball, but they taste like really meaty. And then there's like this like Swedish gravy that I make that goes on top and people really love that one. And then also I think a lot of people or a lot of like moms really like salads. We make like some really good hearty salads. So they're healthy, but also, you know, have a little bit of like creamy dressing or like we make, you know, this like vegan feta that goes on it. So a bit indulgent, but still a healthy salad. So people really like those as well. I think we're recording this too close to my lunchtime because now I'm very (laughs) hungry. (laughs) Well, and it just sounds like you have so many different options for people to try and taste. And like you said, if people have, you know, a healthier alternative to going through a drive through all of the time and having these meals that have been cooked and prepared for them delivered to their door, I don't know how much more convenient you can get than that. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're also like helping people learn about seasonality, which is a big one that, I mean, I didn't even, you know, growing up, I didn't know anything about seasonality or when things were in season. So for our business, you know, everything is very seasonal because we're getting almost all of our produce locally throughout the year. So I think we're introducing some new vegetables to people as well. And also just like the variety of meals changes a lot. So like in the winter, a lot of people, you know, are getting soups and curries and pasta. And then in the summer, it goes more to like more salads or like stir fries or pasta salads and stuff like that. So it's definitely helping people kind of learn about seasonality, which is really important as well. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's something you know, I still don't even think about all that often, which I should more. But, you know, when you go into a grocery store and you can always get a tomato that's sitting there, you you don't really think about it. But if you're looking at growing it locally, I know here I can't grow a tomato all year. I'm lucky if I can grow a tomato in the growing season because sometimes they're (laughs) shorter than others. But, you know, sharing with people about what you can grow in your local area and A, how long you can preserve it for, B, how many different ways you can cook it, and like how different and good these things can taste all year long, depending on what it is. Yeah, for sure. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. 
So what would you say have been some of the biggest challenges for you? I want to ask it in both regards. One, for farming and growing, and two, for your business specifically. Sure. I guess I'll start with like the farming one. I think the farming one was, I, I think earlier on when I was learning about farming, it was just like finding opportunities. So I was living in Guelph at the time, which is about an hour west of Toronto. And it's a pretty urban city and there is a lot of farmland around it, but there just weren't a lot of like farms, I would say like small ecological farms, which was what I was interested in, who had opportunities, you know, for working. And there were always internships and things like that. But I was, you know, in university, I was funding it myself and through student loans. So doing an internship where I wasn't going to get paid for like four months wasn't an option for me. And so trying to find like a paid farming job was almost impossible. And I really got lucky with the two that I found that were both paid, but they're both funded either like through the university or through a nonprofit. So it was, you know, I wasn't able to really get that like small business side of farming experience. And, you know, I wish I was able to get that kind of experience. And I see a lot more jobs like that available now. But yeah, it was definitely a challenge at the time to learn about, you know, could I farm for a living? And I didn't really know where to ask those questions and where to find information, especially about like how much money you can actually make or how much it costs to start that up yourself. So I think just figuring out like how I was going to put farming into my life was a bit of a challenge. And later throughout my years, I got to know more friends who did have their own small farms because I was just joining more, you know, farming organizations here in my province. So I was learning a bit more about how it's really expensive to buy land, which was the biggest one. And also just, you know, having money for investments in equipment and things like that was all just so really difficult. So I kind of decided, you know, I don't think I want to go into the direction of farming full time. I just didn't see how I would be able to, you know, have enough money to ever buy a farm. The biggest challenges for starting a food business, I think we're pretty similar. You know, money is definitely the biggest challenge. So through my job, I had a job for a full year before I started the business and I was able to save $10,000 and that's uh, the money I had for starting the business. And I put all of it into there and that was mainly because I wasn't able to like find a bank that would give me a business loan or ask like family for loans because most banks like if you don't have experience in that field, they don't really believe in you. So I had like a lot of yeah issues even getting like a credit card for the business. It was just really difficult to approach banks and like have them believe in you. So I really just had that $10,000. So with that, I bought, you know, just the basic equipment I needed for my commercial kitchen, like a stove and, you know, hot plates and stuff like that, bowls and a sink and we both me and the person I shared it with put in about you know five to seven thousand dollars for that kind of equipment and then I also put in a bit of money into you know buying my first ingredients buying my reusable containers and starting up a website and so I needed to quickly find customers in order to start like paying for the expenses and paying for my rent and paying for gas and all that kind of stuff so 
it was, you know, really hard at first to get customers. And I think really, I was thankful that the few customers I had from before I started the business, when I was just doing that at my house, were just really great people who really believed in me. And they recommended a lot of people. So, you know, my first 10 customers, I think were all through like recommendations or just kind of putting it out there, telling people I knew that I was starting my business. And after that first hump of getting like the first customers in order to start, you know, be able to start paying my rent and things like that, I became a lot more confident and was able to kind of, you know, put myself into the mindset of being a business owner But it was really hard at first just being able to believe in myself and like believing that it was a good idea, just being, you know, thrown in there and having to figure it out. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that because that is a vulnerable part of starting a business that I don't think a lot of people, A, take the time to reflect on and B, talk about enough because it is scary. And especially uh, when somebody hands you money and you eventually have to pay that money back to them, that's a little terrifying. So, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, not having necessarily the proof of concept or on a large scale to know that if you actually can scale this or make it something can be really stressful. Uh, So that is definitely a big challenge. So thank you for sharing that. One thing that I talked to Simone about quite a bit was your amazing conference that you hosted in the winter of 2022. Yeah, that's what year it is. And that's how (laughs) I actually was introduced to you both. So tell us more about your online conference that you and Simone hosted. Yeah, so we had been going, or I guess I initially had been going to farm conferences for a number of years, probably for about four or five years at this point. And most of them were in person. So, you know, in Ontario, Canada, I was going to a few conferences every year just to kind of keep myself in the farming world and just to like meet other people who were, you know, a part of local agriculture. And I noticed, you know, they, they were great and they were all very different, good for different reasons. But a lot of the conferences, I've noticed like the speakers didn't really have a lot in common with me. And it was it was hard to learn things that were that made sense in my context. And that meaning that, you know, most of the speakers at these conferences were men. Most of them were middle aged. Most of them had like farming backgrounds, farming families. They didn't have the experience of, you know, being a young person having a farm or also just being a young person who isn't from a farming background trying to like buy land trying to start their own thing so we decided to try and host our own conference where i think those priorities were at the forefront and so we started the not your father's farm conference and we actually restricted it only for women and non-binary people to really have a space i think that is lacking in other farming conferences And because I just feel like when the space is like dominated by men as speakers, it's hard for like women to ask questions or just feel comfortable kind of in their own experience. I think, you know, obviously in a lot of senses, women feel like we're not as confident or we're not as smart as men in certain like business situations. So I think this really was 
a good idea to try and make the space a bit more safe and comfortable for people to be vulnerable and to actually learn together. And yeah, it was really great. We were able to get, you know, because it was virtual from the pandemic, we had people tuning in from really all over North America, like, you know, all the way from Nova Scotia to British Columbia. And then even we had a few people from the States, like someone from Maine, someone from California. So it was just really cool to bring all kinds of people together and just talk, you know, pretty openly about farming. And we talked a lot about even, you know, more taboo subjects like finances and imposter syndrome and stuff like that. And it's really, yeah, it's really great. I cannot say enough good things about your conference. And I gushed to Simone about this as well. But I have to say that, you know, the feelings of not feeling like you can relate to others at other conferences, I know a lot of people have faced and, you know, me included, and just not feeling comfortable enough to share and be vulnerable about the things that you've struggled with in fear of judgment of others or, you know, not wanting to sound like a dummy asking these questions or whatever it is for you as an individual. But, you know, the thing that I enjoyed the most from you and Simone and the other speakers was the amount of transparency and vulnerability in each of the presentations. Like you said, we talked about things that were taboo. There was actual numbers on paper and showing from year to year. And that's something that I myself in the, you know, five plus years that I've been in this industry and attending conferences, I haven't seen that transparency from other presenters and whether, you know, they're just keeping those cards held close to them or they don't want, you know, neighbor to know what their secret is or whatever it is, right? But I think when we have this information and when it is valuable and you can share it with others, I highly encourage you to find a way to do that. And, you know, this online conference and this platform and the way that women and non-binary people were able to come and feel comfortable, I can't sing the praises enough. So thank you so much for hosting this. I'm so happy that I was able to attend. And when are you doing this again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're still, uh, you know, figuring out the plans for next year, but uh, definitely keep everybody in tune with what's going on. Keep us posted and I will be sure to let everyone know when it is so they can all join us too. And uh, we can all be vulnerable and talk about farming together. (laughs) Yep. So what would you say are some of the biggest wins that you've had in the last four years with your business and your farm? Big wins. It's hard to think about. I think a lot of times we... We only think about the negative stuff, which is not good. So definitely good to think about, you know, the positives and the accomplishments. I think in the last like year, I feel like we've definitely had a lot of wins. I mean, I think one of the bigger wins was just being able to like buy a farm was obviously like a huge win. And a lot of that, you know, was privilege. Like we were able to get help from family for the down payment, which really made this all possible. But also, I mean, in order to actually be able to like afford the farm and the house that we live in was a lot of it had to do with the business. So 
I, you know, at that point was able, was making like a personal income. And that was after, you know, two years in business, which is pretty crazy to think about. I know a lot of, you know, other business owners don't pay themselves for a long time. So that was a really big accomplishment for me. And the only reason, yeah, we were able to afford this was because I was making an equal salary to Simone, even at like a corporate job. So both of us together were able to afford, you know, our house and our farm in this like really expensive market. So that was a huge win. And even about a year after that, Simone was able to quit their job, which was like a corporate consulting job because our business was able to actually fund both of us together with both of us working for the business, which was a crazy thing to be a hundred percent self-employed in our mid-20s was like, yeah, just really crazy and really, really thankful for that to be possible. And then in the last few months, we've just been with like the growth of getting a new employee and then also doing an expansion to our space. And we also were able to purchase a new van, which is incredible because now we can have a bit more capacity in there and it's a more reliable vehicle. And those were all, you know, financed, which was a huge goal for us. Business financing is like really difficult and you usually need, you know, a lot of financial statements and you need to show like profitability and all these things. And all three of those things were like financed through loans and we were able, we were like easily approved for all of them, which was really crazy. And I was super nervous that like, you know, one of them wasn't going to go through and we would have to find a way to get money elsewhere. But it was just like a really easy process. And we like, were really ready for that. So that was also exciting and somewhat terrifying because now we have a lot of debt and loans. Um, But I think it will really help us grow the business even further. For sure. That's the good debt to have. Not, you know, if if you went a little too crazy on online shopping in the middle of the night or something. So <laughs> that is so great. Celeste, what do you think is your best piece of advice for a young woman looking to pursue entrepreneurship? I think, yeah, the biggest thing that I see or saw in myself and I see in other women is women are really scared of like making money and like taking people's money, which, you know, obviously none of us are trying to be like millionaires or like trying to, you know, like take people's money in a bad sense. Like we're all just trying to, all of our businesses are really based on offering like a good product to the world and just being able to, you know, sustain our own lives and just pay ourselves a fair, you know, wage and make a good living. So you really just can't be, you have to like shake that, you know, bad energy of feeling like you're not worthy of people paying you because people have a choice. And if anyone is giving you money, it's because they really want what you have to offer and they believe in you. So you should just take it with confidence and just know that you deserve it. And people see you, you know, a lot differently probably than you see yourself. That is so good. That is so good. I'm, I'm a little misty over here for that advice. <laughs> I think, you know, that is good universal advice for women in general, but specifically for women in entrepreneurship that you're worthy and you deserve uh, to be paid what you're worth. So that's perfect. 
Celeste, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer and an entrepreneur for you? Definitely, I think in the farming is just, I mean, literally seeing like the fruits of your labor. You know, I've, I'm kind of in the midst of seeding right now. And I think every year it's crazy just to like plant these, you know, tiny seeds. Like I have all my tomatoes and I planted them, you know, in like the beginning of February. And now they're like these, you know, big, like three inch tall tomato plants. And it's just crazy to know that, you know, in five months, they're going to be like full of huge tomatoes. Like each plant will probably give me 50 pounds of tomatoes, which is like absolutely crazy to think about just how a tiny seed can like produce so much food. And then we, you know, transform that into meals, which is like really rewarding to see and also just like being able to offer something to someone that is really valuable to them like I know a lot of our customers are young moms or pregnant moms and they're going through you know a really hard time with their kids and just like having no energy and no time and just being able to help them out even in a small way by like giving them a few meals is really great and they are like super appreciative and just hearing like customer feedback is always incredible it makes you feel really good and really you know important yeah for sure well you are providing something literally farmed fork for your customers and you know not growing up in agriculture and then coming into it and realizing that you are helping provide a basic need for humans is is pretty incredible so that's that's a good to be proud of. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time away from the Conscious Kitchen to chat with me all about the things. And now I'm really hungry. So (laughs) (laughs) for the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? We mostly post on Instagram. So the Conscious Farm Kitchen is our Instagram. And we also have another account, Slow Growing, I think it's called. And we through there we offer like business coaching and we also just like post more about our life so like you know behind the scenes of how we run our business and like some hopefully like some empowering messages and there we just really like to connect with like small business owners in like agriculture and food and just yeah love seeing what other people are doing too we learn so much from like following other accounts and you know listening to podcasts like yours which is just great and keeps us motivated that's amazing and I will be sure to put all of those links in the show notes and you will all be able to hear from Celeste partner Simone next week for part two of this podcast so I am so excited and so honored to have been able to meet and connect with both of you so again thank you so much for coming on here today and sharing your story anyway thank you so much Caitlin Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. 
To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.